Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Guy, hello. You've had a bad shoulder. You've, you've had it I've fixed. Had, yeah, me? I've been in the hospital. I, I had a shoulder operation, and so I'm currently in a sling. Can't really do anything. Um, but and uh, but the funny thing is, no, but it's getting better quickly. And I started getting thinking, oh, this is all right. I can start to. And then I had a, funny enough, Johnny Marr has had something similar recently. And he sent me a text saying, Guy, don't think you can do anything. Don't be an idiot, man. I tried it. Driving, moving things, playing guitar. It's not a good idea. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, all right, I, would, okay. I would always rather listen to Johnny Marr than my doctor or surgeon. Well, I always find whenever I need um, <laughs> any orthopedic advice. Yes, of course. Phone Johnny. Um, if you bandage up your other one, you could probably get your 80s jackets back. On, <laughs> <you>? <laughs> it's quite funny. because I, I have been feeling very 80s because I've been walking around because you have, you have to, you know, you put your coat on with just one sleeve. So you're holding <clears> the other one. So it feels like a cape. So you do feel like you're in a Russell Mulcahy video a bit. We need to get a bit earlier than that. We need to get Studio 54, really, don't we? That's very true. I'm so excited about this one. I'm all a tingle. Yeah. I've got Gary, you're going to have to sort of do the narrative because I've got, there's a few things I really want to hear. I've got a few key, there's a few questions that I, that I really want to hear the answer from the horse. So Right. Speak. Okay. Let's get the horse on. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. <laughs> But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know, what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Okay, guys, I'm ready. To Nile Rogers. Welcome to Rock Hunters, Nile. Thank you, man. Good to be here. Where, does that, where have I heard that before? Um, <laughs> it's this, Where to begin? There's just so much that you've done. And so much, I've got to say, personally, how much you've shaped my life musically um we've actually played in a couple of records together um are you kidding which yeah, one with brian ferry There's oh a couple of, brian of course ferry of course of course and i worked on i don't think i ended up on the record but when you did that song um uh, i'm a stranger far from home yeah help me fly. yeah help yeah, me that for was the fly bumped back to between you and us in london Aha. so um uh, actually, if I quickly get it, and I did have this incredibly life-changing experience when i was 22 i worked with nard wow cool on which project uh, that was on Riptide, the Robert Palmer album. Ah, shit. Yes, that was awesome. And in fact, the, the yeah, the bass credit on that reads, bass by Bernard Edwards and Guy Pratt. And I always thought I should awesome. have just quit then. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there is a connection that's that's kind of deeper between you two. I'm, I want to get to that in a bit, which is your, your, you played for Roxy Music, didn't you, Guy? And you were really inspired by Roxy Music now, which I still find incredible. Um, because ro none more British than Roxy. But um, first of all, just where are you? How have you been getting on with the pandemic? What's It's been uh, actually pretty good for me. The timing, I'm, I'm just talking about, you know, what I've been able to do as a result of being locked down. 
So I had to get eye surgery, um, and I w- and I needed a, a I needed time to recover. But we've been on tour with Share for the last couple of years, as well as doing our own um, arena oh, wow. tours throughout the world and primarily the UK. Uh, and then plus I work at Abbey Road, so I've been gigging and gigging and gigging. And when the pandemic hit and we were locked down, um, I was able to get the eye surgery and also have the time to recuperate, which was a long time. And how, so you're good now? Your eyes good? Yeah, they're great now. And it's all worked out for the better because my vision is back to 2020. It's fantastic. And I've written about a hundred songs. It's insane. But unfortunately, you'd already written uh, I Can Barely See in Front of Me. (laughs) (laughs) At last I am free. I could hardly see in front of me. But that was because of, that was because of acid, not because of uh, what, cataracts. What, wasn't that you were at a demo in Central Park and you were tripping and you couldn't get out? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I had dropped acid, and uh, every time I took a step, the buildings took a step with me. It was like, <laughs> what? Oh, come on! And I would take a step, and the buildings would take a step, and I take a step, and the buildings would take a step, <laughs> and finally, I got to. Uh, close to Central Park South, 59th Street. And when I got out, I, I, my first thought was, Jesus, at last I am free. <laughs> and I kept that thought in my head and then wrote um, a song for our band. At that time, yeah. we were we were hippies and it was a, a power rock ballad. It was, I can hardly see in front of me. I can hardly. That, yeah, I can hear that. That would work. Although, but you know, the, the cheek version is just so majestic. Yeah, it was really big. It was beautiful. It was awesome. It was it was so triumphant. You don't need drummers. What year was that? That was uh, 69 or so. Yeah, it was, uh, sorry, it was about 70. Uh, because when Bernard joined me, we still played it as a rock ballad. It was. It took a long time before we turned it into a chic song. We were a group, we were a, a hard rock band called The Boys, B-O-I-Z. And we played it as a rock that's ballad. That's so punk. You're, that's so, you're so ahead. You're so ahead of your time there. That's so punk. Yeah. yeah, no, we I had a punk band called Street Punk and we didn't call it punk rock. We just called it punk music. So that's how old I am, pal. There was no such thing as punk rock. That was like bullshit. No, we were punk. We were a punk man, not punk rock. We we're like, what the fuck is punk rock? This is the um this is the thing with you because you you know, you just don't live in that soul world. You've been really influenced by rock and and you know the the, the thing you wanted that that you saw that made you want to form chic was Roxy music. Yeah. What, when where was that? Was that in the UK? That was in the UK. So we had a we had a band um we had a band called New York City. And so New York City were the singers and we were the band. We were called the Big Apple Band. So it was New York City and the Big Apple Band. And we had a hit record that went, I'm doing fine now. Without you, baby. Right, exactly. 
And then the Pasadena's covered that later. Weren't all those got all those musicians back then? This is one thing I love is this this whole group of musicians who shaped New York and by that shaped the world. All kind of came from Sesame Street, right? Or were, weren't you all working on yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, That's I, so I was cool. Yeah, I was. A, <laughs> yeah, I was a Sesame Street band member, um, and then moved to the Apollo Theater. Um, and then Carlos Alomar was there oh. before me, and he joined Bowie's Young Americans. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, no, it was all the guys, wasn't it? it was, it's an amazing list of musicians who went through it. Yeah, it was great. Okay, so so I've got, I, I don't know if I'm jumping forward or backward here, but Niall, I'm sorry, there's what? Yeah, because I want to get the Roxy music yep, story no, soon. Okay, but, well, there's, there's a question I've, I've got to hear this from yeah. the horse, so to speak, right? The story on it is that when you first spoke to Nard, well, this is Bernard Edwards, by the way, listeners, um, mm-hmm. uh, it, apparently, now, this story I know is your aunt, I think it was, worked at the next booth from him at the post office and told her... Close, okay. close. It was my girlfriend's mom. There you go. But the story is... My, the story my girlfriend. I heard, right, and I'd love to think this is true, is that apparently the first time you spoke to each other on the phone and you were telling him all your ideas about Hendrix and Indian music and orchestral and stuff and everything, and he said, brother, can you do a brother a favor? Lose my number. Yeah, it actually was... It was shorter than that. <laughs> It was shorter than that. It had no brother in it. It, went, it was the exact, the exact quote. The exact quote was, yo, my man, lose my number. Click, hung up the phone on me. Now, remember, we... we and how, how, worlds, how worlds collide, man? That could have changed the shape of music. But it, it, wound up, it wound up working out perfectly. But let me give you the backstory on this. So my, my girlfriend's mom worked at the post office right next to Bernard and she never heard him play a note. She just said, there's something, you know, so my girlfriend's mom, she was married to a famous uh, jazz bass player, an upright bass player. And somehow she says, I don't know, this cat next to me, she's, he's just got a vibe. I don't, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> there's something about him. So she told him, she says, you should meet my, my daughter's boyfriend. You know, he's really cool, blah, blah, blah. So he called me up. And in those days, when we put bands together, um, we had a newspaper in New York called The Village Voice. Yeah. And we were just trying to get the most well-rounded players we could find. So you would always put an ad, we'd call them strip ads, and you would say, um, you know, uh, looking for bass player um, uh, to play funk. Jazz, prog rock, blah blah blah. You know, whatever, whatever it was. Not on, not on heavy trip. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, right, right. No, no, no heavy trippers need a lot, need apply. Yeah. So, so she gave Bernard my phone number, and he called the house, and I was really into my hippie head. All of the people who lived in the apartment with us were like deadheads, and you know, and oh, oh my god. So one dude. Uh, so my 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 uh, girlfriend's mom's boyfriend um he was a total frank zappa fanatic so he was a zappa fanatic my boy lonnie was a deadhead and i remember we're all black and latino right so he he was a deadhead and i was like totally into jimmy but i also liked um yeah i I was a huge fan of of traffic and and you know country joe and the fish and and all sorts of really hip jam bands, and I love surf bands. So when Bernard called, oh, wow. when Bernard called me, he says, uh, uh, "So my man, uh, I hear you looking for a bass player. You trying to put a band together?" 
and I went total hippie on him. I said, "Yeah, man, you know, like, um, like I wanted to be across, across between uh, like Fairport Convention and uh, a little Mahavishnu, um, you know, like like some Country Joe and the Fish, man, you know." And um, and Bernard just listened to me go on and on with this sort of like hippie diatribe, and then this is all he said. <laughs> Uh, yo, my man, lose my number and hung the phone right up on my <laughs> click. And, and what he didn't realize was they were the ingredients of chic. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Fairport Convention, little my vision. There's so much. Yeah, Fairport Convention and the surf angle, uh, something we really want to get into, obviously. <laughs> well, listen, to, he's the greatest. He's the greatest dancer by Sister Slade. With the tremolo on it. So that was like ventures. But anyway, um, Bernard turned up, did he, in the end? No, 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 no. That's not what happened at all. God, this is too good. We used to do pickup gigs in those days, and they basically paid $15 a night. But when a person called you, you would put on a bullshit act and act as if you were trying to negotiate. And you knew that you were only getting that gig because the guy who had it had a gig paying more money. So he was now turning you on to his gig. That was a cheap gig. So this guy called me up and said, oh. um, hey, Niall, uh, my name is Hack. Uh, I, I, I got a gig for you, uh, if you if you can make it Friday night. And I said, well, what's the gig paying? And he said, well, you know, it's a 15 center. And I thought about it for a split second, like I was going to, like, damn, let me check my book. <laughs> it was like I had nothing to do. I said, all right, cool, I'll be there. So at this point in my life, I was primarily a jazz guitar player. Um, but, you know, I still made gigs with my big jazz box. You know, there were small clubs anyway, so it didn't feed back too much. And also we put tape across the F-holes. So I show up to the gig and I was a little bit late. And when I got there, they were already gigging. They were already playing. And they were doing a, a really popular R&B song at the time called Sissy Strut. And that's that's always yeah, played yeah, yeah. in the key of C. Right. Right. So I ran in, I was late, stuck my guitar in, and you know, pick right up on the groove. Ding boom. And then so after we finished that cut, uh the band leader, the dude who had called me, you know, started asking um if we knew this song and that song. And half of the songs I knew and half of the songs Bernard knew, but we didn't actually know them. We could just hear so well in those days that we could call out the changes to the other guys in the band who were primarily jazz guys who didn't really know those tunes. So Bernard and I took it upon ourselves uh, to coordinate the band. Now, I had no idea he was the guy that had hung up the phone on me, and he had no idea that I was the guy talking... <laughs> talking about Fairport Convention and Country Joe and the Fish. <laughs> so after the gig, it went so well. The band leader loved us, and he booked us for the next few days. Um, and then Bernard said to me as we were going home that night, he said, damn, man, I don't want to do any gigs unless you're on it. He said, man, you made it a piece of cake, man. You know, it was great the way we worked together. And I said, you know what? I was thinking the exact same thing. I don't want to do any gigs without you. So... Every time he got a gig, he would call me. Every time I got a gig, I would talk to the person who called me. i say, hey, man, look, I got a bass player that's, that's fantastic. Let's call him. 
So this went on for a couple of months, never, ever, ever knowing that we were, that we had spoken. So one day we get on the train. Oh, Bernard and I live one block away from each other, as luck would have it, right? So we had no idea. We live right next to each other. Like, you could look out of my back window and look into Bernard's front window. So... So we became we became best of friends. So now one day we get on the subway and we're sitting there and we're laughing and joking. And my girlfriend's mom gets on the subway and she comes walking towards me. And I thought for sure she's going to come over and give me a kiss or a hug or whatever. She walks right past me and goes to Bernard and says, so I see you cats hooked up together. And he looks at me and goes, that was you? <laughs> oh, wow. That's so beautiful. Oh, my God. It was meant to be. What a story. You know, but normally bass, bass players normally hook up with drummers, don't they? It's quite a, a, a sort of an unusual pairing. Yeah, wanna, yeah, it? but yeah, because it's, you know, drums are drums. I mean, that's, but, it's, but it's true. You, you want some harmony to what you're playing. That's, it's, you know, playing bass on your right, own. Right, right, Was Nard Nard then? I mean, because where does that come from? Oh, I mean, my God. No one and did he have a that. style? He had a style then that was the one we know. Hell, yeah. Right. I wasn't Nile. No, Bernard taught me to be Nile because I was a jazz dude and Bernard had Bernard started out as a guitar player and he was in a band that had two guitar players and the bass player was the leader of the band. And uh, they worked for some pretty hardcore people. Um, as a matter of fact, it's the people who wound up becoming um, Sugar Hill Records. Sylvia and Joe Robinson. Oh, wow. Sylvia Robinson. Yeah, Joe, yeah. Joe Robinson. So, um, yeah. So the band leader uh, asked to get paid. Somehow they hadn't gotten paid for a while. And I think either Joe Robinson or some guys who worked for Joe beat the guy up and broke his thumb so he couldn't play bass. So Bernard was the guitar player, so Bernard started playing bass. But now you mention it. But True I'm, story. Wow, because now you mention it. Because when I was working with him, I mean, he said this terrifying thing. He used to sit me down and he gave me a couple of lessons, which was just like mind-blowing. But he had that, because he had a guitar style, didn't he? Because he's so strong. Right, he played with his strumming. fingers like he was strumming. With, with the yeah. He taught you, didn't he teach you the chucking style? He taught you that, didn't he? So I read and... Yeah, he came up. He, he showed he, you that style. That yeah, you that's. Are I didn't for. play like that. I played well, more you, like you described yourself as. As you basically took McCoy Turner and put it on the guitar, right? Right, right. McCoy Turner. I, so that was my style of playing, but I didn't chuck. I just played, you know, really cool guitar voicings with forts and a lot of voice leanings. Like "I Want Your Love" is famous for it. That's really me ripping oh, yeah, off yeah, McCoy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, although I, I don't, don't really hear that. I, I, the thing is, all those, and it's, you know, I spent years writing songs just stealing sheet chords, and it's, and I've never heard those chords anywhere else before. I mean, now they're an absolute template. So that whole thing, suspended minor ninth and minor sevenths, all that. But it's, you never heard, I'd never heard that before in pop music. Right. When did the, uh, sort of the, the Doobie Brothers say, Long Train Come, when, when did that sort of, that sort of style, was that earlier or was that late after you? Was that inspired by you? That, that was before us, but that was a different style. They didn't really do, so the, 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 the people in rock that were most like our voicings would be like, like Donald Fagan and those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Steely Dan would play more chords like us. Um, but uh, the very first song I ever wrote for Chic was Everybody Dance. That's, that's some pretty hip shit. I mean, that's like not your standard fare. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so uh, to give you a really good example of how 
I stayed true to my chicism, if you will, uh, when I was doing Let's Dance with Bowie. I put a minor 13 in it, the progression for the second chord. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, so we go to a minor thirteen. So you know, I, like I always like putting jazzy chords in pop songs, and still making them sound pop. Uh, by the way, talking of everybody dance, that used to be my go-to thing. Whenever I I, I went into a studio, when I had to, you know, because I used to just di when I plugged in, when I was getting my sound up. I I without thinking automatically play everybody dance and when i had when i was smuggled into the power station to put the bass line down on this song on the power station album and bernard was there and i was so fucking scared and sh- i couldn't see straight and i couldn't look <laughs> at him or anything and without thinking they plugged me without thinking jason cassaro plugged me in. without thinking i just i played everybody dance and nod just uh-huh. went shut up motherfucker make me feel old <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose uh cool and the gang were a big inspiration though weren't they didn't they have that? Yeah, for me, because that, that was my cousin's band. Um, oh, there you go. I come from a real musical family on my mother's side. Like, everybody were really, really talented musicians. And uh, so my cousin Spike was an original member of Cool and the Gang. And believe it or not, a lot of people don't hear this, but when I wrote Good Times... That was my homage to Cool in the Gang's Hollywood Swingin'. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hollywood Swingin' goes boom, 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 boom. Let's do, yeah. do, 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 do. There's a bit of Let's so, All Dance in there as well. I can hear that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I always thought well, we could so, maybe get to this later. One thing I find really interesting is one of the first, when we get to the Roxy Music thing, is see, that's because of that timing you'd never really heard in disco or anything like it before. And actually, one of the first bass lines where you ever heard that was Love is the Drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So you, yeah. you know how I, I, so the Roxy music thing, so I was getting into that. So I was in this band called New York City, right? And we had a hit, I'm Doing Fine Now. We toured on that one record for about two years, maybe a little longer. And we finally wrapped our tour the very last gig we did was in the UK and uh, we had released the second album that didn't net any hits. So the group disbanded, but the, the band, the, you know, the musicians, we sort of stuck together and we kept the name, the big apple band. But uh, when they left to go back to the States, somebody had stolen my bag with all my money and my passport. And we were staying, um, Right over on, um, right off the park, right over on Bayswater at some little... Columbia Hotel. Yes. I bet it was the Columbia yeah, Hotel. Yeah, some little cheap hotel over there. And um, and uh, uh, and when we were packing the coach to go to the airport, somebody just snagged my bag and they were like, poof, and we're gone. I didn't even see it happen. Um, so the band took off and left me. And thank God I had a really cool girlfriend who was working at this... Um, what they called, uh, what do they call them? <clears throat> Pardon me. They called them hostess clubs and it was called Churchill's. And, um, and she was just gorgeous, just dropped dead. And, um, and I stayed at her flat for a few days because they left me on the weekend and the American embassy wasn't open and I couldn't go apply for a passport until the following week. And it may have even been a bank holiday. It was like I had to stay there. I didn't mind because my girlfriend was pretty awesome. But um, 
so she took me to see her favorite band and it was Roxy Music. And you guys were playing at some joint called like the Roxy Tavern or the Roxy Playhouse or the Roxy Club or something like that. And I went, holy cow, the the Roxy the Ro- Roxy music playing at the Roxy Tavern and and, and it was like and, and the audience was looking beautiful and the the band was dressed up and I was like damn we've had a lot of rock and roll bands but we don't get dressed up whatever we wear in the morning is what we wear on stage and <laughs> but like Roxy music got dressed up to do the show I was like damn so I called Bernard up and I said man we got to do the black version of this. And he was like, what? And I ran out, I uh, went down to Camden, um, to Camden Lock, where you could get all the albums really cheap in those days. And uh, and I didn't realize Roxy Music had three albums already. And I was like, whoa. I love this. I love I this. I never even heard of these dudes. And they got three albums. And they had like Amanda Lear on the cover and like Playboy bunnies. And we were like, whoa, what's up with this? Well, you, you lifted the album cover, didn't you? you the yeah, right, right, right. You so if you look at the first... Yeah. Country Life or something yeah. like that. Yes, yeah, so, right. So you look at the first Chic album cover and we, you know, we did the whole supermodel thing. And so it was like... And they're doing all the kind of 1920s style, aren't right, they? Right, exactly. You know, it's got this kind of look to it. Yeah, so we got, we got all into it. And uh, so we did the black version of Roxy music. But while we were putting the band together, because Tony Thompson wasn't in the original Big Apple band. So basically it was just Bernard and myself and and a singer named Bobby Cotter. Bobby had just finished uh, a stint with Jesus Christ Superstar, so he could really sing. Um, He played Judas and he could just blow. Oh, that's the highest song in the show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did um uh we did a bunch of songs that that only myself and Bobby did a little writing. Bernard hadn't written anything with me yet. Um so we took all those demos around and every record company loved our demos. They all wanted to see us and when we showed up and we were a black rock and roll band, they turned us down right away. They said, "Hey, you guys don't look like your music." We were like, "What? You don't look like <laughs> <Wow>. our music." <laughs> And uh, we we finally got what they meant. Um, So uh, Bobby, on one of our rock and roll gigs, he met a girl that became his wife. So he left the band. So now it was just Bernard and myself. So I still had the Roxy Music thing in my head. And I said, you know, we got to do the black version of this. So we started hunting for musicians. It was like the Magnificent Seven. We were going around looking and looking and looking. <laughs> and the first person we hired was a keyboard player named Rob Sabino, who played on every single Chic record yeah, to this yeah, very yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, amazing, amazing. So we hired Rob Sabino, and he said, man, you know what, man? You should see these friends of mine. They're called Kiss. And, you know, oh, let, we, let's go check them out, man. You know, my good friend is Ace Fraley. So we went to check out Kiss at a club in New York called the Hotel Diplomat at the place called Le Jardin du Paris. And um, we went to You're check- You're making this up now. These names yeah. are just too good. No, no, no. <laughs> Serious. Straight, like, straight up. It's, it's like a Simon Templar Saint episode. No, no. Yeah. T- t- totally straight up. So we go and we check out Kiss and everybody is flipping out over them. They're like screaming. But then they take off their makeup and not one person recognizes them. So Ace comes and sits at the table with me and we're drinking and laughing and like, I'm going, wait a minute. 
Everybody was just like losing their complete shit over you. And now you're sitting here with me completely anonymous. And that was yeah, like- And you're not getting, you're not getting laid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story about Ace and that later on, but yeah. So, so I was like, this is amazing. You could be like rock stars. And then when you take off your makeup, nobody has any idea who you are. So the concept of chic was a cross between the fashion and the coolness of Roxy music and the anonymity of Kiss. And then we put oh. our name in all uppercase letters. I'm actually looking at our first thing right now. It's right next to me. Yeah. All uppercase letters. So we had two C's, an H and an I. Kiss had a K, two S's and an I. Oh. We were like, yo. Oh. Whose was the name? Who came yeah. up with the name? Bernard actually came up with the name because uh, uh, I still wanted to keep the Big Apple Band because we had a following. Why would we change our name? And the only reason why we changed our name was because a guy who I went to school with, uh, a guy named Walter Murphy, put out um, a disco record called A Fifth of Beethoven. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he yeah, called yeah. himself Walter yeah. Murphy remember, and the yeah. Big Apple Band. So everybody thought that was us. Chic is very like Roxy music as well. But you know what's interesting is this sort of circular thing between going on between uh, UK and America. So so you know, we had uh, John Taylor on the show a few weeks ago. And, you know, I was in Spandau Valley. He was in Duran Duran. You know, we kind of had the same. We burst out into the uh, into onto the scene in 1980 and and what we said every time was we're our music what makes the 80s music it's a combination of the sex pistols glam rock and chic so we, we you know but what 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 i didn't quite fully understand is that chic's inspiration came from glam rock it came from roxy music as well and of course then you as a person end up coming after in, in the 80s end up coming back into the uk and redesigning our greatest glam rock star, David Bowie, and Duran Duran. Right, exactly. And, yeah. and it's funny. You're, you just keep giving that gift, don't you? <laughs> the longest relationship I've ever had. Well, now it's now Diana Ross. I'm working <laughs> with her now. But the longest relationship I've ever had with any artist has been um, Duran Duran and Brian Ferry. I've worked with them more and longer than anyone wow. in my life. And now I'm working with Diana Ross again, so so wow. she would be the longest. But but it's really interesting because almost everyone I work with, um, and and even when I get a big record, for some reason they don't call me again. <laughs> like I always thought I'd I, I always thought I'd be doing every Madonna record. How do you not get called back after <laughs> selling like 28 million records? <laughs> do you know what it might be? Because I mean, I can I look at you as as being almost as, as far as the producer is concerned as the American Trevor Horn. So you know, in the 80s, right? There was you and Trevor. And the thing is about Trevor, and maybe about yourself, is you 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 become quite powerful and dominant on the record. You know, it's it, we we love Nile Rodgers. We want to hear that Nile Rodgers sound. And sometimes solo artists go, hmm, "I do a record where I just get the credit." <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, just, you you're know, right. That's what happens. I play on every record I rec I produce, basically. Even if you have a guitar player in the band. Now, I one still thing play. I want to ask you about Nile is is one of the things I, I always love, which I think got overlooked at the time. Because did, did you used to write the lyrics together, or did you write the lyrics, or? Because what's extraordinary with Chic was what gets lost in the whole disco thing is that lyrically, you were practically the clash. I mean, <laughs> I mean, every my forbidden lover, um, you know, I mean, good time. I mean, right. And, and um, 
dance, 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 having that yowza, yowza, yowza from the movie They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Yeah, They Shoot I mean, Horses, it's, right. It's so political and such social commentary that you're actually doing, but it's all wrapped up in this fantastic ball of fun that people don't notice. And Freak Out, the Freak, wasn't that Freak uh, Out was fuck off at one point, wasn't it? Am I right to say that? Absolutely. <laughs> it was fuck off big time. <laughs> so it's great, man. You guys have either done your homework or you really... No, no, I live this. Great, I live great, this. Great, I'm a, such a fan. Great musicians. So when Bernard and I met and we finally came to terms with, okay, you were that weird dude who was talking about Fairport Convention and Country Joe and the Fish, um, Bernard came from uh, down south and he came from a background where he wasn't political at all. Whereas my parents... Um, the guy who raised me was was white. I came from, even though my biological father is black, but my mom and, and the father who raised me, they got married in 1959. So we were, they were an interracial couple and the guy was white and the woman was black. And that was really head turning back in those days. So my parents were beatniks, like hardcore beatniks. They were big heroin addicts. And, um, and so I came from a very bohemian background. I was a subsection leader in the Black Panther Party. I was extremely political. So when Bernard and I got together, we actually sat down because now we're bandmates and we know that we're like partners forever. And and I say, look, man, you know, I have a very different perspective on the world than than you have. And Bernard and I had never written any songs together. I was the sole songwriter when we were the boys. Right. He never wrote anything. And this this. Oh, you're going to love this story. So the very first record I write for Chic is Everybody Dance. Now, we were Luther Vandross's band at the time. And so we were working oh, with Luther, Luther Vandross. And of course, Luther worked with Bowie as well. Right. So, right. Yeah. Well, hello. Hello, guys. So that's the thing is that. So we were Luther's band and we were playing at Radio City. And at Radio City in those days, you had two shows two shows a night. So we would do the early show and then we'd have uh, an, an intermission. They'd turn over the house. While they were turning over the house, I talked my boss, who was Luther Vandross, uh, into doing a record, uh, singing backgrounds on a record that I had written for my new group. Uh, well, it wasn't chic yet. We were still the Big Apple Band. And of course, Luther was great because he's a studio singer. So he brought all of his singers to the studio with me and, and me and Bernard. Um, and I played on the second Luther album. And so uh, we, we during intermission, we ran over and we recorded Everybody Dance. So we had just gotten Tony and just gotten Rob Sabino. And that's the first song we cut. Um, right. And that song got played in the underground discos, but we couldn't get a record deal because the bulk of our demo was still rock and roll so then bernard gets a gig to play on a television commercial and every and in those days songs had to have an a side and a b side so they did the a side which was for the new york board of tourism and he wrote a they did a song called i love new york and the b side was just an instrumental so the guy who wrote the b-side with bernard came to me and said hey now you're a songwriter can you turn this track into a song and i said sure and i took that track i played guitar on it and then i wrote uh the song that would become dance 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 yowza 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 but i said to the guy i said look man this bass line is as important 
as the guitar part and I know who's playing bass. That's my partner. Why don't we bring him in on the songwriting process? And he says, but he doesn't write songs. I says, yeah, but he's my partner. So, you know, I feel weird taking all the credit uh, and that bass line is making the song. So we bring Bernard in and at that time the song went, I just dance, 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 dance all of the time. I just dance, dance, dance all the time. And Bernard walks in, he listens to it, and he goes, yeah, that's pretty cool, man, but uh, why don't you just call it Dance, Dance, Dance? Aww. And I looked at him and went, what sense does that make? He said, well, because that's what you're really talking about. You say, I just dance, dance, dance all of the time, all of the time. I just dance, dance, dance all the time. Just say, dance, 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 dance. So we change it to dance, 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 dance. <laughs> we change it to dance, dance, dance. And... uh. And then my long hook was relegated to a contrapuntal part that we played on the micro move. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Because I wasn't going to give up on my lick. So the lick is in there, but Bernard's <laughs> hook was the thing to just go dance, dance, dance dance and i was like i was like dude i never want to write a song without you again <laughs> no so where did where did the yowza come from where did the yowza who's that was, was that? my idea because we were so what happened was so bernard wrote the hook but we still had a song to write so i said well what do we base the song on and we noticed that the 12 inch record had just been you know released as a format and we noticed that all the DJs were playing these very lengthy songs. So we thought we'd make our first songs like eight, nine minutes. And we thought, well, what else was like that? Oh, the dance marathons back in the 1920s going through the Great Depression. And guess what? In America, we yeah. were going through the greatest recession since the Great yeah, Depression. Yeah. All of this stuff started making sense. It was like, damn. Long records, marathon records that just play forever. And we got a great recession. Let's go back to the days of yowza, yowza, yowza. And we stuck it in the song. Wow. And you took some of you wow. took some of those big band lyrics, didn't you? Of course. From that the was twenties for we, some we, of the other songs. Yeah, for, for good times. Um we go Happy Days Are Here Again, which is the Al Jolson. Happy Days yeah. Are Here Again. 
And then uh, the stars are going to twinkle and shine this evening about a quarter to nine. So we couldn't do that. So we went, let's get together. How about a quarter to ten? Uh, so, and a tap dancing break. Come <laughs> on. We a want tap break. All right. Come we on. did the tap dancing. And we got the original guys, the Nicholas brothers, to tap dance on my feet. Keep dancing. All right, so I've got to say the one lyric, there's no lyric has ever stuck in my mind the way this has, which is just so genius ahead of its time, which has got to be Halston, Gucci, Fiorucci. so you know that that's the very first very first time in any pop song except for one very small record in france that fashion designers were ever name checked the only name checking that was being done at that time were cars so people talked about cadillacs yeah yeah people talked about i hope hope they gave you frocks love dude we got more (laughs) swag than you ever saw and we got more stuff sorry about that we got more stuff from Halston and Gucci than you could ever imagine you you know that's really you know that is like the whole Roxy music scene of what they were trying to do you know you were you were really going into that Euro sound and of course there was the La Palace was the big disco in Paris and then the Studio 54 was what was happening in New York, and isn't there a, isn't there a song uh, a story that you've got, Niall, about Studio Fifty Four and maybe not getting in? Yeah, or that, that lets you right. Yeah, that's Le Freak. So the thing is, is that people really get it confused because at the time we didn't we didn't have the opportunity to tell the entire backstory. We had actually we had actually been in Studio Fifty Four a number of times, but I would only go with my girlfriend. My girlfriend at the time had just gra- graduated from a school called Fashion Institute of Technology. So that's where Norma Kamali and Jane Barnes and all these people who were actually dressing our band, we were wearing all the clothes from these people who had uh, graduated from fashion. And my girlfriend was a, a stylist. So they knew her. She worked at Fiorucci. She worked at um, uh, Henry Bendel's and you know all these really fabulous stores that we had the, we had the equivalent of you guys had Biba in London and we yeah. had we had Bendel um, so so every time I went to Studio 54 I was with her and her crowd but one time Grace Jones who really loved the song Everybody Dance at that time she was um, she had it in her mind that we would be the right producers to produce what would then be her next album. So she told us to come to the back door of Studio 54. However, when she phoned us, we never knew what Grace Jones sounded like, you know, her speaking voice. So she called us and (laughs) you guys guys know Grace now, right? You know her. I can take a guess. Right, right. So she calls up and she says, so look here. First, now remember, we never heard this ever, ever, ever. So she says, so darlings, you come to the back door of Grace jo- of uh, Studio 54 and you tell them that you are personal friends of Miss Grace Jones. So to us, it sounded like a cross between Bella Lugosi and Dracula, um, uh, Marlena Dietrich and Bob Marley. So we put all three together. We put all three together and we knocked on the back door and we says, hello, we are personal friends of Miss Grace Jones. <laughs> Thinking that that was tantamount to the, you know, remove the brown M&Ms, whatever. 
you know, we, uh, yeah, oh, we yeah, knew it was some rock right, and yeah. roll thing. So yeah, yeah, when yeah. we uh, used that voice to try and get in, <laughs> the guy slammed the door in our faces and said, oh, fuck off. And then we, we knocked and knocked again, and he finally opened the door. He said, didn't I tell you to fuck <laughs> off? So we realized we weren't going to get in the studio that night, um, and we went back to my apartment. Luckily, my apartment was just one block away from the back door of Studio 54. So You're on, always a block away. Yeah, right. Whatever needs to be a block away from, right? <laughs> so on our way back to my apartment, we passed a, a liquor store, uh, what, what do you guys call it? Off license. Yeah, and right. and yeah. we um, we got two bottles of Dom Perignon. In those days, we called it rock and roll mouthwash. <laughs> and um, we got two bottles of DP, went back to my house, and we swigged them down real fast. And, you know, when you drink champagne that, that quickly, you get lightheaded really fast. <laughs> and so we got lightheaded, and we started singing... Aw, fuck off. <laughs> do, 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 do. Fuck Studio 54. Yeah. Fuck off. Do, 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 do. And, we, and we wrote it out. We, oh. we wrote a whole narrative where the only appropriate or the most appropriate answer would be, fuck off. Aw, if a cab driver cuts you off, fuck off. <laughs> and we used to say, if your mama asks you to do homework, Fuck off. And we were into it. We were laughing and having so much fun until finally Bernard, which of course you'll know, bro, Bernard finally said, uh, my man, you know this shit is happening. And I'm like, Bernard, Bernard, come on. We can't get this on the radio. This was two years at least before hip hop. It was like, how are we going to get fuck off on the radio? So the other good euphemism for that four-letter word was freak. So people used to go, oh, man, get the freak out of here. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, we yeah. tried to go freak off, and that sounded really horrible. Um, I, I just hated it. So me being an, uh, a, a hippie at heart, I instantly fell into my hippie thing, and I went, oh, my, man. Like, how about calling it freak out? Like, when you have a bad acid trip, man, you know, like when you freak out. And Bernard looked at me like, what? What the hell are you talking about? So I instantly got my black identity card back. And I said, oh, no, man. You know, like when you're with a fine girl and you're freaking out on the dance floor. And he said, oh, yeah. And then there's that new dance that my kids are doing called the freak. And I went, boing, 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 boing. the light bulb went yeah. off over my head. Let's do a song about a dance. Those always work. So we we Everybody ran. Everybody likes the dance. Yeah, come on. Let's do a song about the freak. There is no song called the freak. So we ran out to the store and we got the quintessential dance records, which was Chubby Checker, The Twist, and we got a record by cool. Joey D and the Starlighters called The Peppermint Twist. And we got back to my apartment and we played both records from top to bottom. And we noticed one important parallel. Neither of these songs told you how to do the dance. <laughs> like, think about it. The twist, they don't tell you how to do the right, twist. Right, right. Well, he says, he the says it goes twist. like this, but, but that's, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> like what? The music comes in. If it had to tell you, then you weren't hip. Right. <laughs> so when we did, so we used that as our blueprint. So we said, great. We don't know how to do the twist. We don't know how to do the freak. So we won't tell you how to do it, but we'll tell you we'll tell you how to do it. So we go, allow us, we'll show you the way. 
ah, freak out, and we don't show it away. <laughs> you know what I love? This, if, if you hadn't been inspired or influenced by the anonymity of Kiss, they would have recognized you at that door, let you in, and the world wouldn't have a freak. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, let, so when a Kiss getting the publishing money? <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? What were you? What, what's, what's the story you want to hear? Guy? The story, well, the story. I just want to hear from you because I, I know, I, unless you're really bored of telling it, which is, I just love the story of how you came to write "I'm Coming Out" for Diana Ross. Oh, that was awesome! So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, right in in my neighborhood, um, you know. So, someone asked me earlier today. One block away. One block away. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this was about six blocks away, but you're you're right. It wasn't far at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it was so we used to make our way up 8th Avenue to Studio 54. But this was in the mid 40s, uh, a club called the Gilded Grape, which was a trans club. And if you go back to those days. Um, so, you, you know, you're you're an 80s guy. So, you know, that in the 80s, the great thing about clubs is that everybody I mean, the the, the world of club kids and just everybody went to the same clubs. It was like nobody yeah. cared about who was gay or like, whatever. Area. We just area was the one, was, right? Exactly, area was totally the spot, and and so so going to a, With a trans club, DJ in Christ, you know? yeah, 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 right. So I went to this spot called the Gilded Grape, and so this was the summer of '79, and I walked into the bathroom, <laughs> and typically when I went to the bathroom. I was going to the bathroom to do nefarious stuff. Um, but but at this point, I was going to the bathroom to use the urinal. And I walked into the bathroom, and on either side of me, at least three to four deep on either side were um, Diana Ross impersonators. And because it was a nightclub, there was, there was no dressing room, so they all went into the bathroom to dress up like Diana Ross to do a sort of, you know, a, a trans show. I was like, whoa. And so that, so the thing was, is that like, this was early in my career, every hit record that I had. And believe me, at that point, I had quite a few. So by the time it was the summer of 79, I already had what? I Want Your Love, La Freak, biggest record and biggest song in the history of Atlantic Records. I had We Are Family, He's the Greatest Dancer, um, uh, dance, 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 everybody dance. I just can't wait till Saturday. Um, and probably even a couple more. Every wow. one of them, the, at minimum, was gold. Most were platinum. And some, like He's the Greatest Dancer, was double platinum, as was We Are Family. And La Freak was triple platinum. Going, It went to 7 million. In America, selling 7 million singles in 1979 was unheard of. So... So so we were like pretty pretty we were pretty much the real deal. So I go into the bathroom but still nobody knows me, right? Cuz of the anonymity of Kiss. So people know me as Nile, but no one is going to believe I'm working with Diana Ross. Like come on. Like please. Right, you're going from Sister Sledge to Diana Ross. Give me a break. So I couldn't even get excited and like tell everybody, "Oh my god. You just gave me the greatest idea in the world." Uh, so I see all these trans guys, all these like, you know, they're getting ready to do a show. Like maybe it was like, who could be the best Diana Ross impersonator? But I didn't know. I didn't even stick around for that. I just thought like, I just thought the alignment 
between Diana Ross and the gay community, if we could put that in a song, <laughs> that would be as powerful as James Brown, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Like, what would it be like to the gay? I said to Bernard, I said, man, we'll go number one just on the gay community alone. This is the bomb. Like, you know, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. better than Halston, Gucci, Fiorucci. This is, this is like, this is smoking. Like, we didn't think like a whole bunch of fashionistas were going to go out and buy the record because we said Halston, Gucci, Fiorucci. But imagine like the gay community seeing someone that they idolize yeah. going, I'm coming out incredible um so i it was like it, it was just amazing and then the other part that was really important about that song the first time we ever met diana ross she came to a chic show and we were playing at the a joint called the santa monica santa monica civic auditorium in la and no stars came to chic shows in the beginning like we didn't know anybody we were new like so we didn't have any star friends so we look back and we see diana ross and bernard was like wow is that diana ross and i said yeah he said man she's like a queen to me so i remembered ah bernard edwards says diana ross is like a queen hmm. now i see so then we go into the, i go into the bathroom at gg uh, i mean i'm sorry gilded grape and see drag queens huh queen diana <laughs> ross got it i write a fanfare for a queen. Coming. And the whole thing made sense to me. Didn't you have to sneak it past Diana? We tried to. Well, we didn't really, we didn't have to at first because she just loved the song. She just thought it was a great song. She didn't even. She got, she was a gay icon. She knew that, did she? She didn't really think about it like that. What happened was she went and played the record for the number one DJ in America. Actually, he wound up being the number one DJ in the world, Frankie Crocker. And he says, he said, damn. He, he, he introduced us on stage, Spandau Valley, when we first went to New York. Oh, came on. Yeah, well, that... cool. So he told her what the song meant. He said, Diana, you know, this song is going to ruin your career. And she said, what are you talking about? Do you know what this song means? Everybody's going to think you're gay. Now, Diana is so non-homophobic. It's ridiculous. But we had told her that we were doing an album all about her. We had said... You know, coming from Motown, you were basically on an assembly line. No one really cared about you in particular. It was just whoever sang the song the best. I said, we're actually going to do a record that's constructed totally for you. So she sort of misconstrued what we meant. Like, like everything didn't have to be about her uh, literally. Yeah. Like she didn't have to be coming out, but she could certainly sing a song that goes, I'm coming out. So when she was so upset that Frankie Crocker had told us her that, it was the one and only time I have ever lied to an artist in my life. And I've been doing this a long time. So I said, uh, you know, Diana, you know, you come from R&B music. I don't know how it is in Detroit and LA, but what do you say when you start your show? She says, I don't know what you guys mean. We said, well, 
you know, we have so many songs. We say, well, what song are we going to come out with tonight? Um, <laughs> so we said, we know the first song of the show is called our coming out song. Bernard, Bernard would always say to me, yo, yo, my man, what are we going to come out with tonight? So I don't know if you know the formula, but every Chic album has our, you know, every Chic album is basically the same. It's the, the it's, our album is a new show. So we always have a coming out song on it. It's either an instrumental. Oh, yeah, our yeah. first album had an instrumental called Open Up. No, sorry. Our first album had a song called Strike Up the Band. The second album had a song called Chic Cheer. The third album had a song called Open Up. Because yeah, yeah. these are all, if you went to see a Chic show, the, the first Chic tour when we were on tour with Heatwave and, and Rufus, we started with Strike Up the Band. I, I love and that. because we and we always played wireless, right? Yes. So we started playing and you couldn't even see us, right? So the girls were sitting there with their violins and, and Tony would count it off and we go and, and Luther and everybody would be backstage and we sing Strike Up Up the Band, making music is our plan. Got to feel the rhythm, rhythm if you can. Just want and then we'd walk out with our wireless. People had never seen that before. We're like a magic act. I, I love it when bands do that. I remember McCartney and, and Wings when they did Venus and Mars. They start with rock show, and it's the beginning of the show. And it's uh, I just I always think that's a great way to start. Yeah, now. Talking of which, Niall, do you remember? Uh, I don't remember the, like, a quite what became quite an important cultural event over here was when you played the Sheffield Odeon. Of course, that was seventy nine or eighty. Um, which is when and all the punks and the skins and the electro kids came down and they're all going to beat each other <laughs> right. up. And apparently you were just, you were so amazing. And you kind of, and everyone went off and started ABC and the right. Human League. And you yeah. formed this yeah. whole musical thing just from being so great. And it was literally everyone, all these kids had just gone there to fucking cause trouble yep. and beat up the I, I'll, now, I'll never forget it. It was, <laughs> it was like one of the yeah. greatest nights of my life. And after that, that was ah. when we, we met uh, the guy who wanted to become a rock star, uh, Leif. Uh, what was his name? Leif Garrett or Leif uh, something or other? Oh, yeah. Um, everybody had the big hairdos and stuff. Uh, he was there. I think we met maybe even, well, we met a lot of people that wound up becoming new romantic bands. Or they were, right. but they were sort of just starting out and weren't famous yet. But we met everybody there that night. It was great. No, Such fantastic. a great night. I uh, uh, I just want to touch on you losing Bernard, right? Yes. That that how that must have been a such a a, a bad a terrible moment for you, obviously. You know, you'd got Sheik back together as well, hadn't yes. you? That was um that was I mean, I know you'd worked without him before. Right, but but doing but now him. once we reformed our partnership, it was in a strange way we were closer than ever. Um and we wound up having so much fun working on that record and also by having um, a singer like Silver, we could explore yeah. other areas that we hadn't explored prior to that. Now, don't get me wrong. Our original girls were great singers and, you know, we had Luther. Then after Luther became a big star, we had Fonzie. So we had... Fonzie. I've told, I've told with Fonzie. Yeah, so we with all... Brian. Yeah, right, right, right. Fonzie used to always call me from Brian Tours. Um, so we... we the great part of my life is that I have never had a bad band. Even when we were called street punk, uh, we, even before street punk, I had street punk, I had New World Rising. New World Rising 
uh, we opened for bands like Fog Hat, um, the Stooges. <laughs> we we opened. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, we opened for the Stooges. Um, as a matter of fact, so when we were gonna do our second gig with the Stooges, oh right, so um, so we played oh, Coachella. I think no, 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 no. It was uh, Glastonbury, and uh, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Glastonbury a couple of years ago. And so we were talking to, um, yeah, so, okay. yeah, I was talking to somebody and he was like saying, yeah, man, you know, I played with Iggy Pop. I said, fuck, Iggy Pop. I remember when it was, it was the Stooges and it was Iggy Stooge, not Iggy Pop. And I says, I said, <laughs> do you remember a song? I said, do you guys still do songs like, bam, 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 bam. Do you feel it when you cut me? Dun, 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 dun. He said, of course we do that. Do you feel it when you touch me? Dun, 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 dun. I said, that's, I said, we used to play and we opened for the Stooges. I mean, we, we know all the songs. Wow. <laughs> and so you made that sound so funky. And so I said, <laughs> yeah, 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 but it didn't sound like that when the Stooges <laughs> no, played it. Wasn't quite the same, but it was, it was great. We love yeah. the Stooges. So, uh, so yeah, I so said we used to play for the Stooges. We used to open for the MC5. Uh, we opened for Elephant's Memory, which wound up becoming the Plastic Ono band. So we were like, we were real. Augustus Parliament and Funkadelic were doing that kind of semi-rock thing as well. Right. Oh, Parliament, they were, they were the band that just completely blew our minds. Um, yeah. We, we played with Parliament Funkadelic at the Apollo and we all put our, our oh, yeah, what? we put our, God, what a show. it what? was amazing. So this is when we were New York City and we had the big hit record, I'm doing fine now. But still, when you play the Apollo, you just can't do one song. You have to put on a show. So, you know, New York City would do really great originals, but they would also do covers. So, but our covers were terrific. I mean, we had a whole show laid out, great choreography. So when Parliament, uh, when George Clinton walked up to me and said, hey, yo, man, let's make a wall. And we <laughs> went, what? He said, let's make a wall. And he meant, let's put, Is that my Trump put all of our amps together. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and let's let, me, let Mexico pay for it. So he, he, <laughs> so he said he wanted to build a wall of amplifiers. And that's what we did. We all put our amps together and just had this wall of sound like blasting the oh, Apollo audience. Wow. And so we went out and we played their whole show. Me and Bernard went out and they didn't mind. Oh, they didn't man. mind having like two guitar players. I mean, four guitar players and two bass players it was just, and Bernard was killing and chucking away. And I mean, it was so great. Um, and we knew all their songs. Was that, is there a recording of that? Is there a recording of that anyway? I don't think there would be a recording. This was just doing a show. Because do so, so no, now, now everything's fucking recorded. Yeah, but this it? these days, no one had a, you know, nah, you had to yeah, specifically yeah, yeah. set up to record in those days. I know. I, yeah. But, um, but uh, we found, the other day we found online, uh, when we did a show with uh, Blondie, The Clash, and, and Chic. Oh, at Bonds, at Bonds yeah, about that. it's online yeah, somewhere. Bonds. Bonds. Hang on, I saw, I saw the Clash in Bonds in 1981. That wasn't the same. Period. Yeah, that's, they, they, they did a 21 night stand. That's right. It was, right. This, it was you with yeah, Bonds. I was there. The same yeah. show. And you, and you did, you did. Well, it was 21 nights. Ah. so um, well, I was so one we're, of we're, yeah. we're <laughs> but, then, but that's right because it was you. It was the, they were playing the magnificent. Yeah, right, exactly. And then you segue into bon, Rapture bon, and then into Good Times. Yep, and we went into Rapture and we went into Good Times. Right, and then all of the. <clears throat> all the sort of new Jack B-boys came up on stage and started rapping. 
And that was the first time I met wow. Fab Five Freddy and Futura 2000 wow. and all those guys. And we were playing good yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we're going to have to we're going to have to talk about Bowie. I know. Otherwise, we'll we'll never forgive ourselves. Um, I know Gary won't because um, I, I don't know how much longer we got with you. This is why I mean, I could do this forever. Why this is what I love about doing this podcast now is that is that I get to if I ever bumped into you socially, this is all the things I'd like to ask you. And you'd be like, who the fuck is this guy? Get him away from me. That's why it's so great to be able to, to do it and not have to. Me, he'd recognize, right? Me, he'd recognize you, <laughs> but who are you? Yeah. <laughs> so, so come on, let's dance. What a, such a seminal record. Yeah. What, what do you want to you know? Did a, you demoed the whole thing on your own, didn't you? Not on my own. I did every. I did everything with David. I, I think what I want to know is how was how was the relationship with with both of you on that record? You know how how, how did you uh, create? Together? It was it was fantastic. Because I love the story of is it true? He just he showed you a picture of little Richard with a red that, suit by a red Cadillac so, and said that's rock and roll. So what we were trying to do was um, we were doing pre production. And we were trying to figure out what did we want the record to sound like. And he and I went on adventures. Now remember, see, this is before streaming. So in order to hear the music, we had to go where the music was, right? Because how do you hear it? So yeah, yeah. we went to um, the Library of the Performing Arts because you could listen to records there. We went to oh. um, Jerry Wexler, who was one of the... Uh, owners of Atlantic Records. We went to Jerry Wexler's house because he had a huge re record collection. Uh, and what were you listening to? So it was early, late 50s. We were listening mainly to jazz. Because see, that's what our, that's how we, um, that's really how we bonded. When, when David and I first met, we didn't talk about rock and roll. We didn't talk about R&B. We didn't talk about anything but jazz. So we only listened to jazz. And so and that's his last album with a, with a jazz band. I mean, you got, the guys always love that music, hasn't he? Yeah. So so that was the the main reason why uh, we actually had to go around to these places that had the kind of recordings that we'd want to hear. Because how do you hear rare, you know, jazz records or unique records? You had to. What artists are we talking about? Uh, no. Oh, everything, man. We see David's right. knowledge was was as deep as mine, and that's why we loved each other because we were talking about everything from the most avant-garde to the most straight-ahead bebop. I mean, that's what I was raised on. I was raised on bebop, and I mean, th those are my mother's friends, people like Thelonious Monk and right. Gloria Lynn and, and Nina, Nina Simone. and Those are the people that used to come to our house. So, I mean, that's how I grew up. Um, so, you know, Bowie, knowing that those are the people that I knew and idolized, that's what we went and listened to. And here's one of the things that most people don't know until I tell them. So we started listening to an album of um, uh, famous like themes, like music themes or something. And I believe it was Henry Mancini who wrote the yeah. theme to Peter Gunn. That's right, and, yeah. and And so we listened to Peter Gunn, and both David and I went, this is the coolest thing we'd ever heard. And of course, we had heard it a million times, but we just, you know, we could sit down and dissect it together. And we listened to Peter Gunn. 
and we lo- we loved it. It went bam, bam, boo, babble, 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 bam, down now. So let's dance goes, let's dance, bip, 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 dun, 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 bip, bip, bip. He Peter Gunn, boo, babble, babble, babble. There you go. <laughs> so right when we were doing it, I remember that <laughs> we both loved Henry Mancini's contrapuntal stuff. So we love the fact that it went da da. Yeah. Okay, but the bo ba bo ba bo ba bo. So yeah, I I stuck that lick. So when David invited me over to Switzerland, see one thing you guys got to remember about me: I hear little nuggets of things, or I hear little ideas, and I pack them away and I remember. <laughs> so now David <laughs> invites me over to his house in Switzerland. So we had done all of this pre-production, we had talked about all of this stuff. And then one day he comes and knocks on my apartment door after us doing all this searching. Oh, and mind you, he had already charged me with writing. He said, Niall, I want you to do what you do best. And I said, well, what's that? He says, I want you to do a hit record. I'm thinking like, damn, all we're talking about is avant-garde jazz. And now you tell me you want me to do a hit record. (laughs) You are the most like bipolar (laughs) wacky dude ever. But I got it. Okay. I love jazz too, and I love hit records. You're right. Let's do that. So we listen to all this music. He invites me over to Switzerland. He comes down to my bedroom, and please don't take offense to my accent, but I, in my head, I sound like Bowie, or this is what it sounded like to me. So he, we all do it. He, he comes down, right? We all sound like Bowie. So he comes down to my room and he goes, No, darling, I think this record's a hit. And he starts playing an acoustic guitar going jang 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 gang jang 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 gang gang let's dance jang jang gang jang jang and he starts talking and he's just singing let's dance over and over and over again and i said well what do you call that song he says i call it let's dance and i said well what is it about and he says it's not about dancing at all in the traditional way he's saying he's the dance you do uh, in relationships, the dance you do right. between disparate people, the dance you do between blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, going, whoa, David, I come from dance music. I cannot do a song called Let's Dance that doesn't make people want to dance. <laughs> so I knew that he loved jazz. So I said, uh, and he also understood the vernacular. So I said, hey, David, do you mind if I do an arrangement on this song? And he said, no, I'd love that. And I was like, cool. I rewrote the entire song. (laughs) The the, the Let's Dance that you know, there's nothing folky about it. Um, And you can even go on YouTube. But the chords, certainly the voicings are a dead giveaway. Oh, yeah. And you can go on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, I didn't know. So you can go on YouTube and you can hear the demo, what I did. I actually demoed the entire album except for the last song that we wrote together, which is either Shake It or Ricochet. I can't remember. I think it's Ricochet. But everything else, Ah. I did the whole album in two days. And I only found this out because his estate sent me a thumb drive. And it's right there on the thing. We recorded it at... um, at uh, Freddie Mercury at, at um, Freddie Mercury Studio Mountain in in Switzerland, and uh, I did the whole thing in two days. Every song. 
Oh, here's the question. Here's the question I'd like to ask um, on Let's Dance because the whole thing because it's it's all your gang on the album, right? And uh, that's the wonderful right. thing. It's this old black Latino band. And right. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Where did that come from? That's David's. That was David's thing. He had seen Stevie at uh, at uh, Claude Nobbs's Montreux Jazz Festival, and um, he thought he was amazing. And he was right. <laughs> he loved those big, loud, wacky guitar players, didn't he? With playing lead. Yeah, he loved it. He... I opened for him on that tour, but I was in this Australian band, Ice House. We opened for him in Europe and the UK. Oh, yeah. cool. It was amazing to see that show from backstage. It was just incredible. No, I, I, we've got to say thank you to you for, for yeah. doing this. I mean, you, it's amazing. We, we, don't, is... we don't want to keep you on. Well, there's so many stories we could talk to you about. I mean, you know, we haven't we haven't even touched on Get Lucky. You know, I mean, when you, yeah. you just, you know, you came and you came we'll and save invented that, save that for the ne- I mean, uh, everybody's summer Save chat. that one for the next for the, yeah. the Oh, next yes, podcast. please. Because yeah. I got to get to work. Oh, man, no, we cannot thank you enough. I've I've literally died and gone to heaven here. I cannot thank you enough. This is a, a box, a real box right, tick. You guys... <laughs> You know, but you're such a cultured man, and that's I think where you know your your interest in so many different kinds of music, right? Going back to Fairport Convention and uh, wherever you, you know, I mean, that's <laughs> and Sandy Denny, your your ear for different things and how you brought it all together, and you've made music for for the world for how fifty years now, nearly forty five years, I don't know, a long yeah, time, a pretty long time, and, and we thank you for that. We do thank you, and long may continue. And I, and I tell you. I'm happy that I'm still doing it and having the time of my life. What's next? What's next? Um, well, I just told you I'm doing Diana Ross. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm working so on uh, Coming to America with Burna Boy and um, Andrew Watt, and we're having a blast. We've already written wow. it. I'm doing Edina Menzel's next wow. album. We're having a blast. We are absolutely loving it. Um Burner Boy have playing live. I've seen even in yeah. the pandemic, he did a show. Yeah, I know. He he's great, man. I I love Burner. He's awesome. Listen, we're, you're going to be around for a lot longer, and we'll have you on again at uh, some stage. I I, I hope. But uh, until then, thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you so yeah. It's such a joy. What, what a pleasure. I, so I, much. All the best. Yeah, I had a blast. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Rock on Tours. And thank you to Niall and thank you for listening. We are back next week with another superstar guest on the show. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave a nice review. And money. See you later, guy. Yes, and money. <laughs> well, it's good night for me. And it's good night for you. <laughs>